Good morning, everyone. Doing the reading this morning from Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 28 through to 39. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those who he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified. Those who he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Aussies love a winner. We love it when the underdog comes out on top. We're a nation of only 27 million, but we were, I think it was sixth on the ladder of gold medals at the Olympics. Uh, we have our uniquely Australian symbols for victory, the boxing kangaroo. We've even got a war cry, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. You know the rest. It's fantastic when we beat the odds and we emerge victorious. We love a winner. Winner, winner, Christmas dinner. Winning isn't the only thing, it's everything. There are lots of sayings that we've got about victory and winning. But we don't live in Disneyland. What about when we feel like it's gone pear-shaped? We're losing our grip. Life's overwhelming us. Well, this is what Paul is writing to us about in this passage. He's telling us that as Christians, that victory with Jesus is assured that we are conquerors. We're more than conquerors. Nothing can come between us and God's love. He reminds us in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And it's not winning at life that he's referring to. Please don't hear me say that life is easy. We're living this side of heaven. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Paul uses a term, hypernicomen. We've translated that to more than conquerors. 
Um, if you have a hyper pet, you'll know what hyper is like. Uh, the word hyper means super, extreme, over the top, above and beyond. I've got a hyper dog and she is all of those things. So hypernicomen refers to super victory. The second part of that word, nicomen, Nike. Nike was the goddess of victory. Uh, Greek mythology notes that she flew around the battlefield awarding glory, fame and victory to whoever she decided. And the Nike symbol, that swoosh, the tick, is representative of the wings of Nike. Now, sports companies like Nike and the sports drink companies and the companies that make sportswear um, represent their victory as a result of wearing or using their products associated with hard work, sweat and grunt. But unlike these earthly representations of victory, Paul is telling us that it's not our hard work that gives us the victory, that makes us conquerors, but the work that Christ did on our behalf. Paul wants us to understand that the world's orientation of success is very different to what the Bible teaches. Now, life is tough. Paul knew that life was tough and he referred to his present sufferings. We're not promised that we won't have trouble. We're not promised that life won't be tough. What we are promised is that God will be with us in the trouble, that he's got us in the palm of his hand and his grip on us is sure and secure. In fact, it's the sufferings that produce the steadfastness that God grows our character and reminds us of his grip upon us. So even though that grip that Christ, God, Jesus has on us is hard for us to imagine, it is unchangeable, but it doesn't always feel like it is. And Paul experienced that also. He suffered an affliction. We don't quite know what it was, but he suffered an affliction and three times he prayed that God would remove that affliction from him. But God didn't. He knew what it was like to suffer. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So Paul understood hardship, affliction. He knew what it was like to know God's victory, but still deal with life's hardships. Referring earlier to Paul's standard of education, he uses an interesting um, literary technique that we use at school called merisms. A merism is when you take uh, two extremes 
to present a whole. It's to two or, or more individual components that, when described, give a complete picture. For instance, a fisherman might say, the fish took the hook, the line and the sinker. In other words, he took it all. Or if you're looking for something that you've misplaced, uh, I looked in every nook and cranny. I looked from the ceiling to, to the roof. I looked everywhere exhaustively. Now, Paul uses five merisms here. So he is wanting to impress with us that nothing can separate us from God's love. That God's love is, is complete. He casts our sin from him as far as east is from west. And east just keeps going. West just keeps going. But God has got us in the centre. So he says, neither life nor death, nor things above, nor things beneath, nor angels, nor demons, nothing that is created, nothing can separate us from the love of God. When I was first reading through this, I, I didn't think too much about the use of the merisms, the, the components, parts that made the whole. But looking into it more de deeply, I could understand why Paul would say death cannot not separate us from God's love, but many of us fear death. Uh, but Paul wasn't afraid to die. He understood that death was the pathway, the door to presence with God. To live is Christ, to die is gain. But why does Paul refer to life? If death doesn't separate us from God's love, what about life? And I think he's referring to the burdens, the uncertainties, the miseries, the bitterness, the physical hardships of life. And he tells us that none of these things can pull us away from God because God's in control. It's not our love for God that makes us secure, but God's love for us. For us. And Paul is saying that fear of death or the calamities of life, nothing can stop him from loving us. Then he goes on to say that neither angels nor demons can separate us from God's love. Why would, why would Paul refer to angels or demons? Well, they're created beings, and God as the creator of all things, all of his creation is answerable to him. Rick referred earlier to uh, Job. In Job chapter 1, we recall that God calls all the angels before him to give an account of themselves, including Lucifer. Why can't angels or demons pull us away from God's love? Because they're accountable to God. They're answerable to God. They have to give an account of themselves to God. So they can't separate us from God's grip on us. He says, neither the present nor the future can remove us from God's love. So what's happening to us now, or what happens to us tomorrow, or what has happened to us in the past, nothing then, now, or in the future can separate us from God's love. Whether it's depression, pain, loss of loved ones, dementia, accidents, disease, riots, flood, bushfires, none of the circumstances, as painful as they are, that have happened or will happen, will separate us from God's love 
through Jesus. He also then says, neither height nor depth, nothing that is as high as high or deep as deep or any powers, nothing that is created can separate us from God's love. And he says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? If it's not angels or demons or life or death or things above or things beneath, nothing in all creation, what is it then that can separate us from God's love? And the answer is nothing can separate us from God's love. God has our name tattooed on the palm of his hand and we're in God's grip. And like the mud crab or the vice grips, when we're in that grip, in that immeasurable, unknowable, complete grip, nothing can separate us. And Paul is not saying that as Christians, we won't have pain, suffering, hardship, depression, trouble. He's not saying that they won't happen, but he's saying as they happen, God is there with us. In fact, as fair dinkum Christians, born again Christians, we find a deeper way through the hardships and difficulties than we could in times of prosperity. In fact, when we're in our deepest need, he comes to us in a way that we can't even describe with that peace that passes all understanding. And he loves us deeply and steadfastly and completely. And as Christians, we're in his family, we're his adopted sons and daughters. And like that mud crab, he will not let us go. Our inheritance is assured, our love is assured, and nothing can tear us away from God's love. Just like to uh, pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us so deeply and so completely and in a way that is mysterious and beyond our understanding. When the evil one disturbs us, please remind us that you have our names tattooed and imprinted on the palm of your hand and that nothing in all of creation can separate us from your love because you gave your son, Jesus, to die and make that assurance complete. Amen.